Hello, hello, and welcome to The Mental Matchup, a podcast where we hope to shed light on one of the hardest competitions an athlete will face, the matchup against their own mind. I'm Kat, and today I'm going solo talking with Anna Callahan, who is an incredible human being, daughter, sister, friend, teammate, advocate, ally. She is currently a rising senior on the Duke Women's Lacrosse team. She's incredible. I'm really excited for us to to chat with her. She's our first ambassador, which makes this episode even more exciting. And we talk everything from her journey, how she has gotten to the point where she's able to be unapologetically herself. Get ready for a great episode. Hi, Anna. Thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm really excited to chat with you and kind of get get ever, get all my story out there and have everyone kind of get to know me. So thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Our first ambassador, fellow Duke lacrosse player, just like everything. I cannot wait to have you kind of share your story, your experience, and talk about all the amazing things you're doing for mental health at Duke and just in the community, lacrosse community in general. Whoa, Trump stumbled over my words there. Can't get them out this morning. It's okay. I'm so the same way, but yeah, no, I'm so excited to talk about all that stuff and kind of explain the start of our ambassador program and and talk about some of my story and talk about, you know, how I feel like Morgan's message has really helped, especially during times of COVID and, and been a great community for a lot of people and how much the, you know, founders of Morgan's message have really changed a lot of people's lives. And I think it's, it's been really, really amazing so far. I, and I can't wait to hear all of it. Um, so let's start with who is Anna Callahan? So I think I like to start with, I don't even like to start with the fact that like I'm a lacrosse player at Duke. I think, um, I'm, for one, I'm a sister. Um, I have four siblings. I have an older brother. I have two younger brothers and an awesome younger sister. Um, she is really, really cool. She actually is <clears throat> going to be a senior in high school and looking to play lacrosse um, in, in college. And my other brother plays lacrosse at Bucknell. And then my brother, Danny, graduated from Northwestern. He's really, really smart. And then Brady, my little brother, plays like all the sports. You know, like when you're younger, you play all the sports. But he's really awesome, too. So I have great siblings. Um, I'm a daughter. I have two awesome parents who are super supportive and really loving and have created such an awesome home environment for all the kids in the family and just have been really, really kind of critical in the pieces or yeah, I guess critical in the pieces of my growth and in all of my siblings growth. And um, I'm also a friend. I have a lot of really great supportive friends um, and teammates. I think that's another piece that goes into the friend. Um, yeah, I'm just, I just feel like those are a couple, I'm an ally. I really, you know, I'm there for a lot of people um, in times of need. Um, I'm an advocate for a lot of social injustices. I really make sure that I go out of my way to educate myself and kind of stand up for the social injustices um, in the world that go on everywhere. And especially in our nation this past year. And I think, you know, lastly, I am a lacrosse player at Duke. I'm going to be a senior. I play attack. And um, yeah, I'm just really, really fortunate to have had such an awesome experience at Duke. Um, 
with Kirsten and with all the coaching staff, it's just been a really, really awesome environment for me to continue my growth as a young adult um, into kind of adulthood after school. So I've just been really fortunate for that. I loved that like introduction. Um, I think it is so critical to kind of identify outside of, you know, what like you might, I guess, excel at, I feel like is what it like bubbles down to. Right. So like, yeah. oh, like it's so easy to throw a label, like um, lacrosse player at Duke or, you know, track runner in the Olympics or like Simone by like, you know what I mean? I think like adding those dimensions are so, 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 so critical. Mm-hmm. So I'd love for you to talk about this environment that like your parents fostered and I guess like just growing up in sports and how they played into you, your identity in sport, out of sport, anything along those lines. Yeah. So I think first and foremost, the one thing that sports has given me, well, two things. I think the biggest things that I can first think of is my competitiveness. I think I'm like a really competitive person with everything. Um, I'm like a really high achiever. I really kind of push myself to meet. Sometimes I feel like unrealistic goals, but I really push myself to be the best and want to be the best at everything that I do, whether it's a literal board game that I'm playing or like a Wii game with my siblings. I like really, really want to be the best and I want to win. And I think that's really, really applicable to a lot of things in life, whether it's, you know, teamwork and working with other people or whether that's, you know, when you're in the job industry. So I want to go into sales um, and kind of being the best and making sure that I'm getting all my sales and working really hard and long hours just so I can, you know, meet those goals that I want to have for the company and for myself. And then I think another thing is it's brought a lot of structure to my life. I think it's given me the ability to time manage and kind of grow into this person that has the ability to fit a lot of things into a day and, and build a busy schedule and not kind of self-implode when I see that I have (coughs) like 45 things on my schedule that I have to do. I kind of just buckle down and I'm, I'm really able to do it. And then I think my parents have really fostered an environment of like, do what makes you happy. And I think that is a big piece. Like you see often a lot of athletes that have parents that'll push them really hard or they'll kind of like force them into something that the kid obviously doesn't want to do. And I think my parents did a really good job. Like I was a kid that played like eight sports in one season. Like I just like would, I loved it. I, I wanted to go to all three practices or two practices I had in the day. I would go to like 20 billion games on the weekend or during the week. I just loved it. I loved being a part of sports. And my parents were like, we are not like making you do this. Like this makes you happy. And whenever you're not happy, please stop doing whatever you want to do. And we'll be there to support you and love you and have your back. And I think it kind of got to a point where my parents were like, okay, like we actually need you to not play so many sports because it's really hard on your body. One, and you're like 12 and two, it's just like not feasible for a time commitment. So I was able to narrow down my sports and my parents were unbelievably supportive of all of my decisions. They played sports in college. My mom was a cheerleader at Loyola and my dad played soccer at Richmond. So they kind of understood the time commitment that was going to go into playing a college sport. And I wanted to play college sports since I was a really little kid. So I think they really fostered a really important environment in sports to make sure I didn't burn out and also to make sure that I was loving what I was doing. So that's amazing. Um, that I feel like is probably one of the top like contributing factors 
to athletes who end up being very successful is like having that support system of like knowing it's a choice that you as the athlete are making like to show up and compete versus like you're being pushed to show up you're kind of half-assing it and then you're like hearing it in your ear like you should have done this better you could do that better like Mm -hmm. after the game and it like (laughs) follows you to the next game they're like remember last game you messed up this and you do that like that's something that I like my dad can get pretty intense my mom not so much but my parents know nothing about sports like I mean my dad my dad knows like baseball and now he knows lacrosse but like in terms of like even like making commentary like he doesn't even comment on like baseball games right like I feel like parents are like oh he should have hit that corner like whatever he's just like great pitch you know like so I feel like I got lucky because they didn't even know they don't even know sports they don't know how to comment and they don't they can't even gauge like they never were able to be like you were you were like missing every shot like they were just like you were out there kicking ass good job like you know let's go get ice cream which I feel like was super helpful and part of it was I danced And so like my parents, like, they're not going to be like, you have to point your toe like a centimeter more. Right. And you're like (laughs) high jump. Like they had no clue. So they always were just like similar, similarly, like if you love it, like keep doing it. And like in eighth grade, I had to make a decision like to dance or to do other things because of that time commitment. And my mom was like, I don't care what you choose. Like you could choose to quit both. Like it's up to you, but like you have to do what like you think is best for you and your future. Yeah. I remember being like, wow, that's like amazing that it's my decision to make. And like my parents get to support me both like emotionally, physically by like driving me, but then also financially in whatever decision I get to make. Like, I feel like that's such a privilege to have. Um, yeah. And I feel like that point that you made kind of about like parents getting so mad when kids make a mistake. It's like, I knew so many friends that had parents <clears throat> that would like punish them for playing bad. I'm like, uh, okay, first of all, we're literally 10 and my parents literally could not have cared if I played bad. They're like, oh, like, cause I, I already put enough pressure on myself. Yeah, I was already upset enough with myself and like really cared if I like didn't have the game that I wanted to have. And my parents were actually always the one being like, no, like you actually did this really well. Like, look at this, like that you did really well. And like, we think that you hustled really hard when you did this. Like, I think those types of things and those types of parents, the ability to like, find the good and the ugly. I think that is like a really important trait to have as a parent. And my parents definitely did that. And they still do that. Like even that they've watched uh, probably more lacrosse than I've even watched because all of my siblings play or played at one point. And they're really good at just being like, okay, so here's some suggestions that I think would really work for you. Like having watched you play and like, if you don't want to do it, that's totally fine. But like, I think you would, this dodge would be really effective because of like how your quickness or like this dodge would be really effective because of your strength. And if you don't want to do it, that's fine. But like, here's kind of what I think. And I, and I really actually accept those and really kind of take them and, and run with it. So, but yeah, it all started with younger me trusting them and knowing that they want, are doing it for my best interest, not theirs. Yeah. I think, yeah, I also, my theory, and I'm no psychologist, I think it's like the parents who are the hardest on their kids are the ones who feel like they didn't reach whatever level they were striving for. And they're trying to live vicariously and they're putting all of the pressure that they feel on their shoulders from a past life onto their kids. And it's like, it's nuts. I mean, I see it with like 11 year olds I coach and I'm just like, these poor kids in five years are going to burn out because they just like are going to feel like I heard this the other day and it's like you and I know it's probably been said before but like you like other people 
could not say meaner things than someone's already saying to their self themselves. Yes, yeah, like I think totally. like people are hard enough on themselves already and we all could like give ourselves a little bit more kindness that you know when anyone's saying anything um but I digress so talk to me about like mental health growing up was that ever like a factor in your life did you ever come into contact with I guess like mental health mental wellness anything in the in the mental sphere um yeah I honestly when I was younger there wasn't really I never really came in contact with anything really related to mental health I had a couple family members who definitely struggled with mental health related topics and it kind of wasn't really anything that I had in my forefront because I never really felt as if I struggled with it and that's kind of an ignorant thing to say but when I was younger and like especially in high school it wasn't really anything that was talked about I think globally like nationally like it wasn't really a focus and I think when the pandemic hit it became this huge like focus for a lot it of flipped people. A switch. Yeah, it did. And, you know, trying to find silver linings and everything while COVID was a horrible time and a lot of terrible things happened during COVID. I think that's something that if you can even find anything good out of COVID, that is something that came out of it that was growth in a department. I'm not going to say it's like good, but it definitely was growth that a lot of people were recognizing like, oh, shoot, like mental health is an issue and it might be an issue that I'm struggling with. And like, how can I find help? And while that might be kind of like self-centered a bit for like some people kind of being like, oh, mental health is an issue. And like, now I need to find a, a, a like help for it because I'm struggling with it. It's like, it's not because then you're, you know, trying to help other people, you know, resolve their problems with mental health or, you know, you're trying to be more of an advocate now that you're like, oh, like I'm realizing that I struggle with this. Like, how can I help other people? Because, you know, and I think that's what you saw a lot, especially during COVID kind of how can I help other people now that I realize it's really a problem because you don't really realize something's an issue until it punches you in the face sometimes. And I think <laughs> that's something that a lot of people struggled with and something that I really struggled with too. So I never grew up really around mental health, but kind of as I got to college, it punched me in the face. And then I realized, Oh, sh- like, Oh shoot. Like I got to figure out a way, you know, to help myself. And then once I feel like I'm in a place to be able to help, help other people, I can help other people. So that's kind yeah. of my I feel like you don't know what you don't know. So like you don't know the severity of mental health and its effects on someone until like you see it firsthand or you experience it. It's kind of like this like urban, urban legend almost, you know, it's like there, but you can't really see it. And then all of a sudden, like wham, bam, you're like, what is happening? Exactly. Um, I'd love to hear during the pandemic, what were some things that kind of helped keep you grounded, help kept Oh my goodness. I can't talk. <laughs> kept you grounded. Help kept you. Gra- no, whatever. Help keep you grounded. grounded. Help keep you grounded. Yeah. Um, like throughout the pandemic and like going back to school in this completely different environment than you had before, where I'm sure that was like another huge transition of like what was normal is now like not even feasible. Like going out like being social grabbing lunch with people on different teams because you're nervous like right COVID just like everything that goes into that like what were different things you did and like how were you able to successfully adjust to life in the new norm I guess for the past like year yeah so I think during COVID I think something that really helped me was journaling I think journaling really helps 
like, like you said, keep people grounded, help with those anxious thoughts, kind of, you know, something that I really like to do is write down, like if I'm having like anxious thoughts or like, you know, kind of overthinking things, I'll write down what I'm overthinking about. And then in the next column over, like, is there truth? Like, did this, did someone actually say this? Like, is this act had this actually happened or like, are you just overthinking it? And every time I would write that the column on the right would always be like, you're kind of like overthinking everything. And that's something that had really helped me. Um, and then kind of getting into a routine. I think I'm really routine oriented. I really like to stick to my day to day. Um, but I do like to have a little bit of, you know, I guess variety in, in the people that I see and interact with and the, and the things that I do while like my schedule, like my big pieces, like practice schoolwork and like classes, all, I like them all to be like kind of at the same time, you know, same for the same length of time doing all that stuff, but the stuff in between, I like to have a bit of variety in like whether it's going to grab something to eat with a friend or like, you know, sitting or going to play lacrosse and and doing some extra work or, you know, getting into see Jen and getting some treatment done, whatever the order of those things is, as long as those things get done, I'm like a pretty happy person. Um, and that I think was a big issue during COVID for me, at least is like not really having that variety in my schedule. It was kind of like, okay, like I wake up every day, I open up my computer and like, go to school and then shut my computer. And I literally haven't opened my mouth from 7am. I go to practice and it's just like, what? Like I can't, cause me and my roommate had different practice times. So she would leave early in the morning and I would be at class early in the morning. The second she would get back, I would go right to practice. So it's like the only words I exchanged were like quickly with my roommate, kind of like talking to her. And then until I got back from practice, it's just kind of like those things I think really definitely took a toll on me. And I think a lot of other students um, across the nation, but even the ones that I talked to at Duke was kind of not having that social piece. And everybody knows me like Kat, you know me, like I'm an extremely social person. Like I, that is something that I really, really care about is creating connections and having relationships with those people around me, because I think everybody brings something so amazing to the table. Everybody has something awesome, awesome to offer to everybody. And those connections I really, really care about. And so for me, that was really hard, not having connections with my classmates or like my teachers and all of my professors who were, you know, really, really also kind of shot in the foot a bit. I feel, you know, that's their passion to teach and they're totally getting, you know, kind of screwed over in the end because they're all these kids kind of aren't really paying attention because it's hard to pay attention to zoom for that long. And I think, so those were a couple things that I was struggling with and kind of the ways that I got around it, it like definitely wasn't easy. Um, and I just think having people in your corner was like a big thing for me and having great relationships with people that I knew were stable relationships. Like kind of like with my parents and with my siblings and with my teammates and with my girlfriend and with all of like the other people in my life. I think having those stable relationships and people being able to support me was a really big thing. And I remember talking with, with Emmy and, and she was kind of just like, you're so stressed out. Like you're putting so much stress and pressure on yourself. Like you need to like find other outlets. Like it can't just be lacrosse and school and like talking to people like find other things that like you really enjoy so I got into golf like I really like got more into golfing yeah so I'm really notorious for having little phases of like things that I'm interested in I'm the same way like it's It's so so bad for it's my hyper focus it's my ADHD hyper 
hyper focus. And it's <clears throat> kind of crazy that I'll have these little things like making bracelets. I, I was really into making like little bracelets like over COVID or like painting. Like I got really into like painting. I like painted a skateboard or like when I was younger, like really into like toy cars, just like weird things that I was like really into. And so like, I was hoping that golf wasn't just a phase and I don't think it has been. I don't think it will be because I really like golf, but kind of doing other things that made me happy and finding ways to get out of my apartment. Like, Oh, out of the apartment. I mean, I, yeah. I like work from home and my desk, I do not leave my desk from like 8 a.m. until like 6 p.m. Like I'll forget about lunch. Like all of a sudden I'll look up and it's like 3 p.m. And I'm like, I, the only time I've moved my legs today is to let my dog out and back in. Like, it's like, how have I just sat here where like in a normal workspace, it'd be like, you'd have people around you because it'd be open. You'd like talk in between things, like while you're doing mm-hmm. things sometimes, like you walk to and from meetings, which takes like five years. Right? Like, it's like all these little things that break up your day. And all of a sudden I'm like stuck to my desk. I'm like cagey. Like, I'm like, oh my God, by the end of the day, I have to like go out and move. Cause I, or else I'll turn into like right. a potato and like, can't do anything. Um, but it's the same thing. Like, it's like missing those interactions, those social interactions. Like as humans, I think we need some sort of like real life interaction throughout our day. Um, like I, even with my family, like, I'm like, I wish I could just see other people sometimes, um, love you guys so much, but yeah, it's like hard, you know? Yeah. Um, And I think, I think it's like the same way with teammates. Like we love being, and you'll get this too. Like I love being around my teammates, like they're family to me and like, they're all such amazing people and so supportive and so fun to be around, but it kind of gets to a point where you're like, okay, love seeing you guys see you guys every day but like need to have other interactions with other people because I think like that's really important and that's a huge part of college like having those interactions like not being able to go out and like you know like like you were saying before like have lunch with other teams or like go out and like find fun things to do on the weekends or whatever it may be and not being able to do those things I think was pretty detrimental to a lot of athletes especially obviously like other you know members that that went to Duke and other colleges across the nation and the world but I think a big thing for student athletes that was really hard is the anxiety that came with COVID it was like this like you could be patient zero you could shut down a season yes what if you just like I I would overthink that so much and have so much stress I probably wouldn't even go out because I'd be like what happens if I just go to the grocery store and like something like it's like no I I can't imagine it was, it was this whole like fear that if you, like, I, I literally at the beginning of the semester, like it was honestly like this horrible fear that, and honestly throughout the whole thing, but people got to campus and were like, we cannot be around each other because one of us is bound to have COVID. When in reality, we were all in this bubble and like everybody was really safe. We were probably the safest people on campus because we were all so worried about getting everyone sick. It was kind of like that it was on, honestly like showed how many people were like kind of empaths and like didn't want to ruin other people's seasons and like ruin things for other people. I think that was a lot of the anxiety was like, I don't want to ruin things for other people. And I don't want to ruin things for my team. Like, honestly, like, I think a lot of people were like, I don't really care if I get sick, like, but I really care if I get other people sick, or I really care if I contact trace all these people. And I think that was a big thing. And missing time playing is obviously a big thing too. That was another piece of anxiety that went into the whole ordeal. And 
I think COVID was a really, really scary thing for a lot of people. And it was just a really, really anxious thing for a lot of people too. So I'm excited that you guys will hopefully have, I think, are all classes back in person now? Yeah, I think, I think all classes or most classes at least are back in person. And I think there'll be a lot more normalcy. It kind of started to get a little more normal towards the end of the year. Like we didn't have to wear masks outside. Um, and cause for the whole year, pretty much we were wearing masks outside, you know, you couldn't eat around other people. West union was like really, really close. Like Oof. nobody could sit down and eat in there. You're like you like had to eat outside, but like a lot of people had really successful seasons because it just shows how much people are willing to kind of give up and be able to just kind of pivot and like put their head down and work really hard and yeah. just kind of still reach their end goal, despite what people may be struggling through. I think that's kind of like a sad piece, but also like kind of a a good thing to see that people are kind of willing and able to work really hard for their teams and work really hard for each other. Um, But definitely, you know, that's mental health aside. So I think kind of a big piece definitely was focusing on mental health and we got a huge donation and a a huge um, kind of funding that goes into the mental health side of athletics that we kind of got granted to us this year and it's going to bring a lot more resources for the Duke mental health program, the behavioral health program and athletics. And I know um, Dr. Zeppelin and Dr. Thompson are really excited about that. Uh, And I'm really excited about that. It's going to bring potentially like a whole one or two more people on board, being able to, you know, treat other athletes and all those things. Cause right now there are two behavioral health professionals and there's 750 athletes. Yeah. It's not enough. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Anna in a second. We'd like to take a moment to talk about Morgan's Message, without whom this podcast would not be possible. Morgan's Message is a nonprofit founded in 2020 to honor Morgan Rogers, who was a beloved daughter, sister, and fiercely loyal friend. Through amplifying stories, resources, and expertise to confront student-athlete mental health, we are building a community by and for athletes and providing a platform for advocacy. Morgan's message strives to eliminate the stigma surrounding mental health within the student-athlete community and equalize the treatment of physical and mental health in athletics. To help us take a shot at mental health, to support our mission, or to find out more, head to morgansmessage.org and follow along on Instagram at morgansmessage. Wait, talk, talk <laughs> yeah. more. Why don't we pivot to talking more about that? Cause I didn't even know about that. That's so exciting. And then like you and Morgan's message at Duke and just like mental health advocacy at Duke, what you're, you're doing, you're involved in kind of what the next like six months year looks like in terms of your grand plan. Yeah. So I think Uh, the really, really cool thing about Morgan's message is how close, or at least at Duke, how closely related we are obviously to Morgan and how closely related a lot of the members of Morgan's message are to Morgan and Morgan's family. I think it kind of brings a whole, um, another level of appreciation for what the program is all about. And I think for us, the main goal that we have is kind of connecting those athletes in the Duke community and, you know, just in the athletic community in general and 
being great advocates and being great sounding boards. And also, you know, during meetings, like I'll kind of send out a, a Google form before and after a meeting, just to be like, hey, what do you want to talk about this meeting? Kind of like what time works for you? I'll send that out. People get back to me. We'll talk about whatever the like highest voted one was. And then the second highest vote or like whatever it was, I'll send in the next Google form for the next meeting and other ideas. And I think it gives the ability for student athletes to talk about things that they find really kind of important in their lives at that time. And, you know, say someone's really struggling with, so this year people were really struggling with COVID and like ways to get out and, and kind of combat the, that like kind of COVID anxiety feeling. And everybody was able to be like, oh, on my team, like we do this and this really works. And then <clears throat> kind of ask for ideas off of each other. And that's, I think kind of what it's all about creating a community for those around us. Um, and then kind of this next year and six months, I'm really excited to have Steph on board. So Steph is Kat's sister and <clears throat> she's another, she's one of my really, really closest friends. And I'm really excited to have her on board. And she's such a passionate person. And so I'm, I just like, I'm super, super pumped. And um, so I'm kind of hoping, so fun, for our next steps that we kind of have talked about is growing our group into at least having 30 people come to a meeting. So I think we have a lot of people on the email chain and a lot of people kind of in the group chat, but I would like to have consistently like 30 people and one person from every team. I think that's kind of like a tangible goal that we can meet. Um, and then I was hoping to have like one to two fundraising events, whether that's kind of on the quad or like maybe we go to you know training table and kind of have a fundraising event there where you know we can sell shirts or do something like that I think that'd be kind of cool um and then having some guest speakers on you know come to events or maybe over zoom and then another piece of that too is kind of having in-person meetings and doing fun things like going like bowling or going axe throwing or like some like going to like um some sort of like arcade or whatever. Like, I think doing that will be like a really good outlet for people. And then growing our social media platform, I think is another important one. So those are some goals that we have. <clears throat> and we were hoping to team up with One Love actually and do kind of like a joint fundraising event with them and kind of get to speak at action a bit too. I was hoping to be able to speak at action um, with Leslie and some of the younger guys at Duke so we can get some more buy-in from some younger kids. I think that'll be, those are some good tangible goals that we have, but yeah, those are kind of some goals for the next year and kind of what the next six months to the next year kind of looks like for us at, at Morgan's Message. That's amazing. I have like the chills right now just thinking about, because we just recently celebrated like, you know, the one year anniversary of Morgan's Message and like two year anniversary of Morgan's passing and just reflecting on like the growth and knowing like this program is in such good hands at Duke with you and just the the passion you have and the drive to kind of help other people is amazing and what you're doing just for mental health and education is unmatched I'm like just so proud so in awe I think that with people people like you like things will change at least at the you know collegiate level across the board like Duke is such a powerhouse and I think that we have such an incredible almost like platform to be like yeah we're doing this like we're all we're first movers is what I always think about with Duke like first movers and you know the crowds will follow and so I'm really excited about just the opportunity of bringing programs to different schools and just educating people right like I feel like a lot of 
student athletes, like humans get to school and they've never had an experience with mental health. And then all of a sudden, you know, they go from being the top of their class. Everything is easy to middle of the barrel at Duke and they're losing their identity. They're like, what's happening? Or, you know, in athletics too, like you're always on the field, you're never off. Like there's so many different things just like with COVID and being able to provide a safe space for them to go is, is crucial and teaching them that it's okay to feel this way. Like this isn't like normal, but it is normal for, you know, for, to have anxiety like this. And here are some tools to deal with it. And like, here's where you can go. If you might be feeling X, Y, and Z that are symptoms of depression. Like, I think that is so crucial in like moving the needle forward on education surrounding mental health. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate that. And again, it's kind of like all started with an opportunity that the founders of Morgan's Mesh has kind of presented me with. I remember going to visit um, the Rogers when I was actually on my way down to school and I had started a mental health advocacy group at Duke kind of in May, kind of, I guess it was a couple months before we went back to school. And I just thought it was really important, especially with COVID. And I remember stopping at the Rogers house and kind of talking with them about that. And us kind of putting our heads together and being like, wait, it'd be really cool if we could have like a sponsored group at Duke to, you know, have something sponsored by Morgan's message. And then, you know, everybody kind of came up with the idea of like an ambassador program. And we all kind of got that rolling and it became something really amazing. And obviously we have an unbelievable, I think, what is it, over 300 ambassadors now, 179 high school and collegiate campuses, and 311 ambassadors. Crazy. So, like, it just, it just, it's grown into something so amazing over the past year, and that's such a credit to you guys at, you know, the, the top of Morgan's message, all the way down to every single ambassador and, and person that's a part of Morgan's message at each school, and I, I think that count doesn't even include all the members that are a part of the of the clubs. So it's kind of like it's really amazing if you think about it, the, the reach that this program has had and, and how many lives it's changed. Like Mary was telling me on on the uh, not a 10 podcast. Everyone should listen. Awesome podcast. Best um, pod ever. She was she was telling me that she saw all these little kids having Morgan's message stickers like, you know, little tiny children having Morgan's message stickers on their stick. And Mary was like, oh, like Morgan's message. They're like, yeah, Morgan's message. Like we, we like this. And it's, it's cool that you have little 10 year old kids knowing about Morgan's message and mental health advocacy. Like there is no shot that I would have ever known anything about that when I was that age. So it just shows. And that to me makes me really happy because it's opening up that platform for kids at a younger age. So I'm really happy about that. That's yeah. No, I coach, I coach little teeny boppers. Um, and I always wear my Morgan's message stuff and I gave them some stickers and it's a long story short. Um, one of the girls, her older sister goes to the high school that Morgan went to. So they like knew of Morgan and her whole story. So they are even Abigail, Abigail is even an ambassador, but it's really cool to just see how small the world really is and the connections. Um, Can you talk about where your passion for mental health comes from? Like firsthand experience, like whatever it may be and kind of led you to become an advocate. Yeah, so I think a lot of it stems from, so there are two things. I think um, being such an empath and a person that really cares about other people, I think is kind of a big reason why I care so much about the well-being of others and the mental well-being and the emotional well-being. I think that's a really big piece of my passion for it is, you know, kind of changing the game in in that realm and and making sure that everyone knows how to be there for other people or that they do have somebody there for them. 
And then another thing is kind of personal experience. My freshman year, I really struggled with a lot of things. And um, I think a lot of it came from, you know, finding my worth outside of lacrosse because I didn't get much playing time my freshman year. I was really struggling with injury and, you know, finding my own, my own way with like sexuality and those other things. I think trying to find my way with that was really, really difficult on my mental health and really difficult for me to overcome. And I had a lot of people in my corner, a lot of people supporting me, Morgan being one of those people and just kind of being able to relate to other people was something that I never really had that much of because nobody was openly the same way that I was. Nobody was openly, you know, in the LGBTQ plus community. Like it was just kind of like me who wasn't even open about it. So it's kind of that whole thing kind of snowball affected me into really struggling. And it finally took my coaching staff and a bunch of friends and family to be like, Hey, you should like, what do you think about, you know, going to see Dr. Zeppelin or what do you think about going to talk to somebody? And I was like, beside myself, I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm fine. I don't need help. Like, I'm good. And I remember talking with Kirsten and, and Brooke and they were both like, no, I really think it'd be really good for you. And I kind of sat back and like digested it and, and took a couple of days to think about it. And I was like, yeah, that, you know, they're probably right. And I went and talked to Dr. Zeppelin for the first time. And he would tell you, it took me like forever to open up. But when I finally did, it was such a useful tool for me. And it really helped me get out of that hole. There was a lot of, you know, self-work that went into that as well. Reading books, just like articles, just like all these different things to make sure that I was the best that I could be for other people and for myself. So it all kind of started being the best for myself. And then it kind of continues to be a thing to be better for other people and to be better for myself as well, because I don't ever want to be like the person I was freshman year around other people. Like I wasn't myself. I was so quiet, like negative, just like not a good person to be around. And I kind of over time have learned how to perpetuate a better environment for myself to be in for other people as well. So I think that's kind of where my passion from mental health comes from. And obviously from Morgan's story is kind of having a, a friend and, you know, a teammate, I knew Morgan more as a friend than a teammate, but losing somebody close to me that struggled with mental health really kind of sparked something in me to be like, I don't ever want that to happen to other people. And I don't want anyone to ever feel like that. And I know Morgan would be really, really proud of the work that people have been doing because, you know, she wanted to be a sports psychologist. She wanted to do all these things. And I think she would be really, really proud of what we've created and what we have done for other people. Because I think in reality, it was really hard because I'm not sure what type of resources there were even at Duke at that point. And I think creating those resources and creating that environment for her to be able to come to would have would have helped her and I just I just kind of want to make sure that we can continue her legacy and her name by you know creating something that she would have created in the future being you know a sports psychologist creating that awesome environment for people to go to when they feel like they need help so those are kind of my big reasons for for being a mental health advocate I think something you touched on um like showing up for yourself to like show up for other people um something along those lines like that I think is so 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 crucial and something like I cannot believe you learned that so early on like it I didn't learn that until like two-ish years like when I was in grad school I think was like my year of like okay how I show up for myself is how I'm going to show up for other people like how 
can other people expect things if I don't even expect them for myself? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think being able to like at that individual level, have that person have a conversation with themselves and be like, am I okay? Like, is something wrong? How am I really feeling? Like, I think back, I think back a lot to like Morgan. And I think part of it was not being able to have that vulnerable, courageous, like conversation with yourself of like being like, I'm not okay. Like this isn't normal. Like this isn't okay. Like how I'm feeling like like I need to go talk to someone. I think that's the biggest hurdle people face initially when trying to get help, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, they can't really necessarily face it because I know for me, like, I always felt like something was wrong with me. Like I was like, I don't want to feel like that, like broken, you know, broken wing bird, like whatever analogy you want to use. Like, I don't want to feel like that. I don't want to get bucketed into like, Ooh, she's like off her rocker. Like, Ooh, she's that girl. Right. Like I was like, I just like didn't even want to even like have people have an inkling and it wasn't until it got so bad that I was like shit like something is wrong with me like this isn't something that I can just like pull the curtain over and like hope it goes away on its own because it's not going away it's not going anywhere it's still here and it's like until I come face to face with it it's either gonna end with like me not being here or you know everyone like it's just yeah um but I think that's such a valid point and just, yeah. Yeah. Gets me every time. Yeah. I think, I think definitely kind of showing up for yourself is the the first step that you have to do is just kind of recognizing I got to be there for me before I can be there for other people. I know that's like so cheesy. People are like, when they break up with people, it's not me. Like it's, or it's, it's you or it's, it's me. It's, it's me, not, it's you, not you. Whoever. Yeah. It's like, sorry, words are hard, but it's like, it's me. It's not you type of thing is like actually realizing like, yeah, it's me. And like, it's not anyone else that needs to fix me. I have to fix myself. I have to go and and do a lot of like self-care and self-loving before I can, you know, be there for other people. And I think that was a major thing that I had to realize, like I was trying to put all my eggs in one basket and like really trying to do everything when I really didn't even have a basket to hold. Like, I just like, didn't even have anything to fall back on myself that I was even self-confident in. So it's kind of getting that self-confidence and, and growing into the person that can be there for other people was I think the biggest step that I had to make for like kind of my sophomore year, summer going into sophomore year is like, all right, I got to really buckle down and, and figure out how I can be a better person for myself because I want to be a better person for other people. And overall, it really, really helped with my happiness, with my confidence and, um, my coaches and all of my teammates and all of my friends and my family were so supportive of me. And I think that's just a a huge thing is having such a supportive environment. And I'm just like really appreciative and grateful for that too. Yeah. There's something to be said for like an unconditional like feeling like you can be yourself and you're not going to be penalized for it right like you can can do and like I'm not saying like be yourself like you know throw beer cans at people but like be yourself and like you know make your jokes and do whatever or like maybe do something stupid right like on a night out that like you apologize for in the morning and things not being held against you like I feel like I grew up in an environment where a lot of things like kept getting brought up. And when I went to college, like I realized with like my friendship with like this group of guys, um, like my best friends in the whole entire world. And I don't know if it's because they're guys, it was like somewhat related, but 
I would do something stupid and like they I'd apologize and they'd be like okay and I would always expect for them to like bring it up later like at first I'd be like when is the other shoe falling like when are they gonna like turn around and be like actually I'm still pissed off about this thing you did two weeks ago yeah and that was when I really learned that like that's what like unconditional like love to a certain extent and like friendship looks like it's like you have that conversation you like own up to your shit like you apologize like I did something wrong and then you move on and that's like what I try to turn in on myself is like I overthink everything I'm I am like so 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 hard on myself to the point where like I'm just sometimes it gets so bad where I have to like be like whoa chill like you're doing a great job um but like being like okay you made a mistake whatever what did we learn from it like move on like you're not defined by like that one moment you're not defined by like this or that you're defined by like your next actions and you know how you respond and like what you're working towards and the human being you want to be and the ally the friend the you know sister daughter whatever that looks like um absolutely yeah so um last last few questions for you um what is something that you are grateful for I'm grateful for a lot of things I feel like I like kind of live in a constant state of gratitude um I feel like I'm really grateful for my support system and the opportunities that I've been given I think the people that I love and surround myself with are everything to me and I think that I wouldn't have nearly had any of the opportunity given to me without my support system and with the people around me I think I owe a lot I literally owe everything to my family my friends my teammates my coaches just everybody that really has supported me and I just am really appreciative of all the opportunity that I've been given to help other people and because in turn it also helps me like helping other people helps me and makes me, you know, feel valued. It makes me feel, you know, good that I can change other people's lives or that I can at least do one small thing to make somebody feel good. And I think those things wouldn't be possible without the people around me. I love that. What, if you could go back in time and give yourself like one piece of advice during, during your freshman year, what would that piece of advice look like? I think I have a couple things, but the kind of the one big thing is like, everything's really going to be okay. Like it's not, it's not the end of the world until everything's okay. Like, I, I feel like that sounds kind of weird, but like, I used to think that every little thing was like the end of the world. Like every little conversation I would have with people like meant that they like had this weird like animosity towards me or whatever it may have been. And I think just kind of reminding myself that like, you have not nearly hit your peak growth. Like you have not even nearly etched the surface of what like your peak growth and your peak form of an individual is. I still haven't reached that. And I still have to remind myself that, but just kind of reminding myself that I'm really young and that just just to take a step back and just enjoy every little moment that you can, because now I'm a senior and I'm like, oh my God, like the time has gone by so fast. And I just kind of, sometimes wish that I was able to live in the moment a bit more rather than thinking so much about, I thought too much about kind of, I not like reward oriented, but like, I don't even know how to say it, but more like, I don't even know what the word is for it, but I feel like I was way too focused on kind of 
outcome oriented instead of like focusing on like the relationships I was making with people. Yeah, no, that's good. That's really good advice. And then last question, any, what's like your biggest piece of advice to anyone listening? My biggest piece of advice to anybody listening is be like unapologetically yourself. There's no reason not to be like, you're going to have people in life that aren't going to love you. They're going to really not like you, but you're also going to have a lot of amazing people that love you for who you are. They're going to appreciate every little piece of you. And they're going to, you're going to inspire a lot of people by just being yourself. And you honestly, at the end of the day, for the people that randomly don't like you just for being who you are, then you shouldn't really care about them anyways, because they're not going (laughs) to obviously like, if they don't really like you for who you are, then you have no reason and you don't owe anything to them for just disliking you as a person. That's, that's really stupid. So I think just kind of making sure that you're focusing on those relationships of people that really love you and appreciate you for who you are because you're unapologetically yourself. I love that. I love, love, love that. Well, Anna, thank you so much for coming on the mental matchup and talking um our first Morgan's message ambassador and just everything under the sun I feel like you were just amazing like on all firing on all cylinders um but thank you again for coming on and talking yeah thank you so much for having me this was an awesome experience and I'm just really appreciative of everything that Morgan's message has done for me and for so many athletes and so many people and it kind of all starts with you guys you know the people that are up up the big big dogs at Morgan's message so we really appreciate you guys and everything you do for us well thank you and with that we are signing off Another huge thank you to Anna for talking to me today and opening up about her personal experiences with mental health and where her passion for mental health stems from. She's an incredibly empowering story as well as just, I felt empowered, you know, speaking with her and walking away from our conversation. I can't wait to follow what she does this year with Morgan's message at Duke University. I will be sure to keep a close eye. Um, She continues to inspire me every single day and I'm just so grateful for all of her help in advocating for mental health in athletics. Another big thank you to Morgan's Message for, for presenting the Mental Matchup Podcast. We wouldn't be here without you. And with that, we're out.